We're continuing our series on the big questions of life. And here's the question for today. Where is the love that I've been looking for? Where is the love that I've been searching for all my life? Now, dudes, if you're smooth, right, you would have looked at your sweetheart next to you, we would have winked at her and said, I don't really need this sermon. Right? So if you want to do that right now, go ahead and do that. I'll let you do that. Here's a, here's a free bone from Uncle Jason. There you go. But when you're honest with yourself, you have to admit that there are times when the people you love have let you down. In big ways and in small ways. And that's why love is risky. That's why falling in love is so exciting. It's fun. It's new. It's exciting. It's scary. Because love is risk. I love this last stanza from a line, that, uh, a poem that Madeline Illingo wrote. She wrote this. When's the time for love to be born? The inn is full on the planet Earth. And by a comet, the sky is torn. Yet love still takes the risk of birth. She writes about Jesus' birth, but it applies to all moms giving birth. There's risk. And there's incredible hope. But love is risky. It's scary. It's vulnerable. It's the reason why marriages, sometimes, they struggle. Because you have two people who are afraid to risk, afraid to be vulnerable, afraid to, to be honest and be real and to admit failure. And so they kind of hold back. And both are holding back because there's a little bit of fear there. And so today we're going to hear about the ultimate risk taker of all time. We read about him in Matthew chapter 26. It says this. And our rear screen is broken, so I'm going to have to read it right here. I apologize. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. And the son of... And we jumped right to the last slide. So I'm going to grab this. Oh, there we go. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him. And he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, it's possible. Please take this cup from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit's willing. The flesh is weak. He went away a second time and prayed. My father, it's not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it. And your will be done. And he came back again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away one more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. And he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come. The Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he's facing his imminent 
crucifixion, and death. He's in crisis. He says, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. In other words, I am so heartbroken right now, I feel like I'm going to die. The gospel writer Mark uses a different word to describe this. He uses the Greek word ekthembestai. You don't have to remember that. But it means shocked. Jesus is shocked and saddened. And it's shocking to see that Jesus is shocked because the gospel make clear that Jesus is God in the flesh and he's never shocked. But here in the garden, he's shocked and he's saddened. And the description of Jesus' impending doom is very different from the description of the martyrs in the Bible and the early Christian church. We look at Stephen in the book of Acts, the very first person to be put to death for the faith. And it says that while he's testifying that his face was like an angel. And as he's being murdered for his faith in Jesus Christ, he, he asks God to forgive the people who are killing him. When we read the books of or the stories of the other martyrs of the Christian faith in the early Christian church, all of them, they go boldly and fearlessly to their deaths. Jesus is different. Jesus is sad. Jesus is in shock. Why? And the answer is because Jesus' death is like no other death before or ever since. Praise that the Father would remove the cup. And in the Old Testament, uh, the cup always was, stood for one thing. It was God's wrath and God's judgment against sin and evil. And so when Jesus prays, he's not just praying, may I not face the cross. What he's also praying is, may I not face, Father, your divine wrath against sin and evil. May it not be put on me. May I not drink this cup, the judicial wrath of God upon Jesus. And it's not the wrath of some impersonal God. It's the wrath of the Father on the Son. The one whom, up to this point, they've had a perfect relationship. Let me describe it this way. If I had a good friend of mine, and that good friend turned his back on me, I'd be hurt. If my wife and kids decided they did not love me anymore, that would hurt infinitely more. And the love I have for my wife is just a drop in the ocean compared to the ocean of a relationship between the Son and the Father. They enjoyed that perfect relationship. And now Jesus is here in the garden and he's been given a glimpse of what the cross is going to be like. It's going to be the loss of this perfect relationship and the wrath of God on him. And he is saddened and he is shocked. You've heard the phrase, you know, hell hath no fury like a woman scorned. It's not true. In the garden, Jesus is experiencing a glimpse, a foretaste 
the cross. He's getting in that image of going through hell. Not figuratively, as we always say it. It's literally. The Father is communicating to Jesus. This is what it's going to be like. You're going to experience this fully on the cross. Are you ready? Are you willing to give your life for these people? And so Jesus prays. And then he begs and pleads his friends, stay awake and pray with me. Please stay awake and pray with me. And they're like, sure, we got this. We're good. We'll be right here. Go pray. Right? And Jesus is, is going through hell for them, and they're sleeping. And he says the, these kind, generous, gracious words, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak, right? And what he might feel like saying is, you morons, what are you doing? And still, Jesus goes through it all for them and for you. No one has ever faced a suffering like this in order to love. And so no one has ever loved like this before. Ever. No one has ever loved you as much as Jesus loves you. He shows that love on the cross, but even before that, even in the garden. At Tim Keller, he put it this way. God set the cup in front of Jesus and let him smell it and taste it when it was still possible for Jesus to pull away and protect himself. In effect, the Father was saying, here's the cup you're about to drink. Here's the furnace into which you're about to be cast. See those friends of, theirs, those friends of yours over there sleeping? If they are to be saved, there's no other way. Either they perish or you perish. See how terrible the heat is. See what pain and anguish you must endure. Is your love for them and for me so great that you will go on and take it? And Jesus had every right and reason to say, no, no, I'm not going to do it. Because here's the catch. A lot of us here would give our lives for someone that we love, and Jesus gives his life for his friends and his enemies. He does it. That's incredible and how incredible his love is. And this is the reason the Apostle Paul writes, nothing can separate us from the love of Christ because if the cup did not make Jesus give up on you, nothing will. It's the love you've been searching for. It's the love you've been looking for in your entire lives. It's right there. And Jesus demonstrates that in the garden. Because it's a love that cannot let you down. It's the foundational of all other loves. It's a sacrificial love. It's of the ultimate sacrifice. It's a committed love that no matter what, Jesus loves you and gives his life for you. 
I have the joy of being loved by my wife and her love for me is committed. But I imagined if I was a big enough jerk, I could change that. If I was mean and ignored her and she'd ask me to do things and do the exact opposite over and over and over again and over and over and over again communicated, you know, you're not worth that much to me. Eventually, she's going to say, I'm done with you. <laughs> Eventually. Jesus never does. He never will. Now, this is why Paul writes, nothing can separate you from the love of Jesus. It's a love you've been searching for your whole life. It's committed. It's sacrificial. <laughs> Here's the best part. It's eternal. Because the creator of the universe redeemed you with his very own life. And that kind of love changes a person. I've talked about this before, but I'll mention it again. Uh, when my wife and I got married, I was a selfish 21-year-old kid. I wasn't mean or anything like that. I was just 21 years old. I didn't, I didn't know any better. And my wife, with her love, would constantly just kind of work on me and eventually change my heart. I remember when we were first married, I was paying the bills. And I said to her, where's my checkbook? And she said, in the sweetest voice you can imagine, our checkbook is in my purse. <laughs> oh, it's not me anymore, it's a we. love changes a person. The love that Jesus has for you is more committed and more sacrificial and eternal. And when that kind of love grows in your heart and you get more and more uh, uh, in tune, aligned with Jesus' love and commitment and sacrifice and eternal love for you, it changes you. How could it not? And this is how it changes you. <clears throat> It gives you the courage to risk. It gives you the courage to risk in your other relationships. Because when you know that you already have the most committed, sacrificial, and lasting eternal love in the universe, it helps you to be riskier in sharing committed and sacrificial love in all your other relationships. As Jesus' love grows in you and grows on you, you become more bold and more risk-taking and more sacrificial. And you're willing to lose because you've already won. You're willing to, to forgive because you've been forgiven so much already. You're willing to work with that kid that's driving you crazy. And you're willing to show some tough love. And that's risky, right? Because the kid might say, you know what, I don't want anything to do with you. Bye-bye, I'm out of here, I'm gone. And that's scary because you don't want that kid to do that because you love that kid. It enables you to risk. It enables you to reach out to that friend that you've just gotten sideways with. And you're able to go to that friend and say, you know, I'm not quite sure what happened, but you tell me what happened from your perspective. And let me know what I can do. That's risky, huh? But when you know you're loved by Jesus, you can take risks like that because you're not afraid anymore. 
you're with your spouse, be risky and vulnerable and sacrifice and love the way Jesus has loved you, even if it may not be returned in kind. I'm not talking about abusive situations, though. Please don't get me wrong. I'm not talking about that at all. Those you need tough love in those situations to set boundaries and go this far and no farther. But but in everyday stuff where couples get sideways, helps you to risk because Jesus loves you. It's uncommitted, sacrificial, and it's eternal. Because love takes the risk of birth. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for risking everything. We've, we've never known courage like yours. Thank you for sacrificing everything. We've, we've never known a sacrificial love like yours. We've seen glimpses, we've seen examples, and they've been wonderful. We thank you for them. But Lord God, we've never seen sacrifice like yours. And Lord Jesus, your love is eternal because you are. And you invite us to be in your presence eternally. Lord God, thank you. We thank you for carrying everything, for risking everything so that we might be yours. And Lord Jesus, we ask that you'd help us to risk it too. And so Lord, I'm, I'm praying this, that every person in this room would be made aware of one other person that you are calling us to risk into. To share love to in a vulnerable way. And Lord, that might be with a kid or a friend or a family member or a coworker or a next door neighbor who's driving us nuts or a spouse, whatever it might be. Lord, that we might risk like you risk, that we might love like you love and do so fearlessly because we've already won. Already loved, or already yours. We ask this boldly in your name, Jesus. Amen.